0: So a couple things um, to get started. Um, last week, what we did was begin this this series that we'll spend the next several weeks in, understanding what biblical church leadership looks like. And the reason we do this um, is because, first off, um, we do believe that it's scriptural, that there's, there's leadership, there's order in the church, uh, but also there are some among us who have served in this capacity before, and, uh, moving forward, I think, um, Soulful Community Church would do well to consider these that are, um, being brought before you and examining them in light of Scripture, and so you just really saw some of the qualifications this morning just in those few verses that we read of what it looks like for, uh, uh for an elder, like, what, what does that mean, um. What are some of the distinctive things that, that they need to have as part of their character? Um, so, so you see that. Uh, and I'll just say, maybe as a side note, um, I thank God for this church. Like, I really, really do. I really love this church, and I really thank God for um, the vision that, that He's given us and where we're headed and, and how we intend to make disciples uh, mobilize the gospel and magnify Jesus Christ um, in, in how we worship, how we serve, and all of these things. And, and I just maybe just a kind of a plug, we've, we've been privileged to be able to mobilize the gospel in a number of ways. right now um, as we get ready this morning to, to kind of take off from here, know that one of the men who are being put before you as, as one who um, would serve as an elder in this church, is currently preaching someone, somewhere else right now. And I, I chalk that up as a blessing to say, that, man, thank God that we can mobilize the gospel from this place. And I know that uh, God's given us the gift of, of uh, uh, our worship team and, and, and its capacity and its talent. And, and the same things happen there. From, from time to time, our worship teams will go. And I just kind of count that as ways that so Community Church can mobilize the gospel. And we want to be a blessing to, to our brothers and sisters, wherever they are. And so uh, I think as long as we're faithful with that, faithful with the vision of saying, hey, we're about making disciples and we're about seeing those disciples mobilized and move and carrying the gospel, carrying the message. And in all of those things, people are going to see Christ more clearly. People are going to see Christ um, as all-sufficient, um, all-sacrificing, all-caring, all-loving, all-forgiving. And so that's our, that's our heartbeat behind this. And so that's kind of where we went last week, saying, that, okay, here's the guys. David Morris is one who we um, put before you to consider as an elder. Um, and we, uh, while he's not here this morning, what we did last week was build the framework for biblical elders and what that means. Um, and so last week was really all about pointing out the fact that the church has elders. Uh, we see it in the New Testament. We see it as part of God's design all along. Um, and so that flies back fly has been gone for a long time in it's back. That's my thorn, by the way, guys. Um, so we, we see that last week. And so this week, what we want to do is we want to take the qualifications. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road for us. So now we, we've said, okay, here's what an elder, uh, here are some of the characteristics that an elder must have. Here's the the, the status that he must live among, live within. Um, and so we're, we're reading that scripture this morning and And I'll just say this. Last week, one of the things, okay, it's church leadership. You know, we talked about this last week a little bit. Okay, for most of you, might say, well, that really doesn't apply to me. That's really irrelevant to me. Um, But one of the questions, if you weren't here last week, just blew my mind was, one of the questions I asked was, how many of you have been subjected to unhealthy church leadership? And can I tell you every hand in the room enough? And so, yes, church leadership is absolutely relevant to you. You want good, healthy leadership. You know what it what it, you know what it doesn't uh, was it what it's not supposed to look like. Um, you know when it's unhealthy, and you know the, the effects of that and the consequences of that. And, and and so do I. And so we want to make sure that God is honored in the way we um, in the way we lead this church that He's given us. And the main thing that we established uh, right off the bat was that Jesus Christ is head of this church. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority of this church, and we all serve under that, right? And among us as church family, he has appointed some of of us in this church family to leadership, to that role of elders, the overseer. And so we understand that, and I'll just say this, that that Christian, Christian leadership, Christian ministry... Um, is without question about character, right? It's about it's about character, and, and I've heard someone say this before: everything rises and falls on leadership. I've heard that said before, and it's like, man, there's so much truth to that. You can see that play out, like when 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 the leadership is hitting on all cylinders, the church is hitting on all cylinders. When the leadership is not firing, the church is not firing. And so so we see that played out and so it's very very important that we understand this, this general truth is this a couple of things uh, that if the leadership is gospel centered then so community church will be gospel centered right that's just the reality if the leadership is, is mission minded then so community church will be mission minded will be will be about the neighborhoods will be about the nations and if the leadership here is sincere then Soulful Community Church will be sincere. It, it's going to take on its, this nature. If, if, if the leadership is kind, then Soulful Community Church is kind. Let me tell you something, Soulful Community Church, let's be kind. Okay, let's be kind, let's be sincere. Uh, let's be... If likewise, let me say it like this, likewise, if the leadership is unloving, then Soulful Community Church is going to be unloving. You know what I'm saying? And if if the leadership is narrow, then Soulful Community Church as a family will be narrowed. If the leadership is stingy, then Soulful Community Church will be stingy. So you understand the importance and while we're putting putting a spotlight on leadership and healthy leadership and what the Bible says about it, if Soulful Community Church is to be what it ought to be, about the desires that, that God has for the neighborhoods and for the nations to come and to know Jesus and to be saved and, know, and have a knowledge of His truth. And that's, when, when we're hitting on our cylinders and when we're being what we ought to be, what we'll see is the neighborhoods and the nations come to know Jesus and, and to make much of who God is. And so that's the idea. And the leadership, at the end of the day, leadership matters. It's not irrelevant to you. It's not just like, oh, you know, it's just another thing, talking about church leadership, we must be talking to church leaders. Um, so a little bit of the background, last week we spent most of our, most of our time in Acts chapter 20 where, where Paul was, uh, well Luke, Luke took, the, uh, took a letter that Paul had written to uh, the church at Ephesus or, or the leaders there, the elders at the, at the church of Ephesus as he, was, um, as he was headed off to Jerusalem. Knowing what he said, this, this is not going to be good for me, however, and he started giving them a few instructions about how they should lead. Uh, and so we, we kind of came around that idea that this is what elders are supposed to do within the church. And, and the background today where we find ourselves, we hit on it a little bit last week in First Timothy. Uh, basically, the purpose that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy was to say, "Here's the proper order and the proper structure of, of the church, and here's how it's supposed to look." And he wrote in this because he was concerned about issues that he was hearing from the church there at Ephesus. He's saying, "Hey, there's you know, remember I told you the ravenous wolves that'll come in. They'll they'll come in and, and they'll they'll preach a different gospel. They'll, they'll they'll they're false teachers, and so you need to be on your guard." And so he was dealing with this, and he was writing to Timothy, and saying, "Hey, these guys are they're distorting the gospel." They're preaching something else, and it's false and it's not real. They're leading people astray. You need to get a handle on this, and here's how it's supposed to look. And if if the leadership doesn't fall within these minimum qualifications, then they're out. And so he kind of gives us very clear structure uh, for church leadership in in chapter 3. But the letter as a whole is speaking to how the church can easily um, be swayed by false teachers and why it's important that, number one, elders serve the church up in a, in a plural sense where we can hold one another accountable so that we know that we're, we're preaching truth. One of the things that David and I, so I shared this with you last week, when we were coming up on this series, David and I sat at the table and we just like, we wrestled through this together because we feel like we're accountable to one another in church you all and that's a blessing. That's, that's rare and that's a blessing that, that I would have someone that would say, ah, let's talk about this or hold me accountable so that I don't speak anything that's false, correct me if I'm, I'm mistaken, and the same goes for him. And as this church grows and as the leadership grows, that's how we plan to lead. That's how we plan to, to care for one another. And so Paul had spent a handful of years in Ephesus planning this church, uh, and then he went on, at this point he had gone to Macedonia and he left Timothy at Ephesus there to deal with uh, some of the corruptions that were, that were going on in the church here, and he gives practical Um, results, saying, here's what it looks like when you believe the gospel. Here's what it looks like to believe the gospel, and here's how it plays out. And so when things are distorted and things aren't right, you're having a, you're having a, uh, um, you're having, you're not having a true and authentic encounter with the gospel. And so that's what he's saying, in light of the gospel, here's how the leadership should look. And he looks at verse verse one, he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So maybe maybe to kind of reword it for you guys so, so we can all come around this. Believe this because it is true and worthy of acceptance. It's true. That if anyone is ambitious or craves, longs for the role of elder, he hopes and he wishes for a good work. And that's that that, that word noble is a good work. And he and he is striving for that, if that's what he uh if, it, if that's what he aspires to. And, and so let me say the church needs leaders like this. The church needs leaders who would who would do their job well. So so it's a good thing for someone to strive for this. So I don't want anyone to think well I'm not going to push my way into some kind of role like that. Paul says it's a it's a good thing. It's a good work and, and, and you can even aspire for that, right? You can aim you can set your heart for that and that's good because yeah because the reality is we're going to break down what that means for, for elders and how they're to interact as leaders of the church and it's good work. And it's the desire comes from God being glorified in the church family. And so it's a good work for you to want that. It's a good work for you. To, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a noble thing that you, would, that you would want that. That when a man sets his heart on the virtues that are essential for healthy church leadership, man, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And at the same time, let me just say this, an excessive, overconfident um, attitude for this kind of position, I would say it's automatic disqualification, that you don't push your way into this role, you don't board yourself over to get into this role, you don't campaign for this role, that's what we set up last week, that this isn't something you don't run for this office, and I tell people all the time, I'm talking to them about leadership just in general, whether it be in church, whether it be in your job, whether it be in school, wherever, You don't get to choose whether you're a leader or not. Always, always, it's the ones around you who say, that's our leader. And so it's natural that as I'm saying these things, and even over the last couple of weeks when we've been kind of putting a light on leadership, that some of you have looked around the room and said, that person's the leader. I I see leadership characteristics in that person. While that person may not even be campaigning for the role of leader, they might want to even avoid it. Leadership is not up to the one who's going to become leader. It's not his choice. It's not her choice. And so you don't push your way into this, especially if you're, you know, overconfident about it or excessive. But it's okay to desire that good work of saying, I want to see the church bring much glory to God. And I want to be a part of making that happen. That's a good thing. You make when you see that, you make it known. Listen here. It says where we were at last week, um, we saw where the elder was not necessarily an office which we campaign, in verse 28 when they come around that idea, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flocks in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the Church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So the appointment doesn't come from anyone but the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and so there's no running a campaign for this. And so we get a picture that the early church got this idea and they appointed those leaders. You see in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, we're going to be in Titus a little bit over the next several weeks. Um, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And this is is the idea that we we understand as a church that the Holy Spirit appoints those who are elders. And it's the church's job to affirm them as our leader and affirm them as the elders. And so that's the idea here. And so we established this. There's two main things that I would ask the church to consider when you're looking around the room and you're looking around the place for leadership is two things I think are key that you need to be looking for. Number one, evidence. There needs to be evidence that the Holy Spirit has appointed that person as elder. And then the second thing is there needs to be an eagerness. There needs to be someone who is serving in that role already, taking on that leadership role already to to say, yeah, they've been appointed that role and they eagerly embrace it. And so those are the two main things that we look for. So it's not a bad thing to aspire to the office of overseer. You want to see that eagerness. You want to see someone eager about the things of God and the things about making his bride a beautiful, beautiful bride. And so 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 27, says this now. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, And I will show you a still more excellent way. So it's okay to desire these. It's okay to desire and to, and and that's what Paul's saying here. For the one who would aspire to take on that role, he needs to know what it's about. He needs to know that it's not about him at all. That it's about the goodness of Jesus. It's about making his bride a beautiful bride, preparing her for that day and so if, if those of you are in this room and you say I feel like this might be a gift that, that, that God's given me and, and, and I aspire to, to, to take on this role then make your aspirations known to the church and that's that's where we, that's how we see scripture and there's a process of examination and affirmation that has to come along with those things and we're going to talk about that what we're going to look at is a minimum um, but, but make your aspirations known uh, to the church. And you desire good work if you aspire to that. To shepherd and to care for this church by leading and feeding her in the word. Right? And to you remember that? That second thing was to guard her. Guard this church. And what do you mean by guard? Guard this church from idolatry. Because every one of this, every one of us in this room are prone. To idolatry, We'll we all give ourselves over to that. And so Paul would say in Acts chapter 20, guard the sheep because there's going to be ravenous wolves who come in and they're going to preach a different gospel so that they can attract these followers to follow them. And then they'll quit looking at Christ and they'll quit looking at the church and they'll start looking at this person as their savior, as their guide. And that's wrong. And so, church, I'm gonna tell you this again, reinforce what I said yesterday. If you walk away from here and, and you say any other name but the name of Jesus, we miss it. We missed it. And so we want we want to be sure that that we're putting forth a, a pure, clear gospel. It is a good work if a person desires to protect this church, as long as that person doesn't covet dominion and authority. Right? As long as that person's not looking for power. But that person is looking for an avenue to care for and lead this church and to feed her and to cause her to grow and to guard her. That's what kind of leadership you want. That's a healthy kind of leadership. That's a biblical kind of leadership. First Peter chapter 5 will say, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those, in your charge, but being examples of the flock, so you see a healthy kind of leadership going on here—not domineering, not ruling. Understand that we all come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Every one of us are to submit to that, and so as we submit to Jesus as leaders, you submit to Jesus as as those who follow. And and moving on, we we see here that that in our text there are let me say this: there are two qualifiers for the role of elder. Two qualifiers. First, at the bare minimum, and I'm, I'm going to keep saying at the very bare minimum, a qualification for one to be an elder is that he must be above reproach. He must be above reproach. So there you go. Easy enough, right? That's, all, that's one of only two qualifications. Well, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that he's supposed to be free from all sin. Right? He's supposed to be sentenced because obviously that can't happen. And If you know me for the last five minutes, you know that I don't fit that bill. Um, but he should have a reputation that honors Christ and credits the church. Right? There should, there should be no one who, who's able to, to bring charge against him, accusation against him for wrongdoing, for negligent wrongdoing. That's what above reproach approach means. His behavior should be able to counter any accusations. Like I shouldn't, as a leader, shouldn't um, defame the name of Christ and, and, and subsequently so, this church by my actions and the way, I, uh, the, the way I do things in life. Like I work a nine-to-five job, right? And I can absolutely mess up the name of Jesus and the name of this church where I am. And so it's important that that not happen. That, that yes, I, I, am, I am a wretched man. Um, but in Christ I'm made new and understanding that I'm walking in this forgiveness and repentance every day being made more and more into the likeness of Christ and so I don't, I don't say that I'm, I'm not sinless or a leader shouldn't be sin, should be sinless what I'm saying is that his reputation should be about Jesus and, and, the, and the goodness and the holiness of Christ and so it's essential that church leaders be a certain type of person Because the gospel is on the line. Like a clear presentation of the gospel is on the line. When church leaders fall, the first thing that goes at stake is the gospel. Well, I thought you guys said that was good news, but even the, the leader of your church didn't think that, didn't believe that. So it's important. So how does one do this? How does one stand above reproach? Here are the minimum requirements. And I say minimum because this is like every one of these has to be made. Verse 2 gives some of the positive qualities. To be above reproach means his marriage is in order. Like his, his, to be the husband of one wife. Now, some of the things that David and I have wrestled with as we got ready for this series is the fact that we realize that we're going to have to unteach some things. We're going to have to undo some things. And I want to ask you, just like I asked you last week, that if, if you weren't here last week, if you were here last week, what you've been taught about leadership should be tucked in the back of your Bible. Remember that? Like, okay, what you know, I'm not saying you're forsaken. I'm not saying you to just forget about it. What I'm saying to you is over the next few weeks, just tuck it in the back of your Bible, And then I want you to hear from Scripture on how we arrive at certain things about what we believe. Because, in this text, there are four possible interpretations of this phrase, husband, one wife. Four possible interpretations. Depending on where you sit, depending on where you've been, you may fall into one of these. And so, what I want to do is I want to walk through those possible interpretations, all four of them, and then I want to kind of end with where I landed. And so we'll understand moving forward how Social Community Church will be will be led. And so the the first possible interpretation that some might say this means is that an elder must be married. An elder must be married. It says right there, husband of one wife proves that an elder must be married. But the emphasis here, and here's the big thing, the emphasis is on the word one. That's where the emphasis lies The husband of one wife And it's not on the marital status that the man is a husband and he's a husband of a wife. The emphasis on one, if the elder were required to be married, then Paul and Timothy you're out of the boat, buddy. Because they weren't married. So, let's just say additionally, this this interpretation would contradict Paul's teaching um, that it's better to stay single on behalf of the church. He said that too. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, as, as he leads into this He says only let each person Lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him And to which God has called him This is my rule in all the churches And then he'll go on to say In that same chapter I think in verse 26 through 28 Maybe something, somewhere around there We won't go there He um, says if you're married That's great If you're not married That's great too for those of you who are who are married, just understand that your interests they're gonna be divided. Like you're gonna you're gonna like strive to please your spouse as you try to please the Lord, but for those who are single, your, your total devotion is on pleasing the Lord. And so you whatever camp you sit in, it's okay. Just know that here's how it's gonna look for you. And so it's better for you to remain single if you haven't already been married. It's what Paul's teaching there. And so in keeping consistent with this kind of interpretation. We won't get to verse 4. David will pick up verse 4 next week. But to to keep consistent with that, we would also have to say that an elder must have one or more children. Because in verse 4, it says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. But we can't go there because the emphasis isn't on children. The emphasis is on how he manages. That's where the emphasis lies. It's not on his family structure. So for me, I don't believe that the husband of one wife means that all elders must be married. The second interpretation that the elder must not practice polygamy. That's another interpretation that that he should only have one wife. He should have many wives. Now in our society um, that's rare, um, illegal. I mean, so very rare. Um, but in this culture, they it was still. Roman law that uh, that that monogamy was was enforced, uh, but they did kind of cut away and said that within Judaism it's it's accepted, but even there it was rare at this time. Polygamy was rare, and and it, Christians generally did not practice polygamy, and so it, it it would almost be like trying to reinforce something that didn't even exist. If Paul would say, "I don't want you to have a bunch of wives," and so. I don't think he's necessarily addressing polygamy there. And the third interpretation would be that the elder must be married once. Now we're getting a little closer to home. Right? We're getting a little closer to home now. Now there are two views uh, that, that, that exist regarding this interpretation. One of the views is that um, it, it prohibits remarriage under any circumstance, whether by death or whether by divorce. It, 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 it prohibits any remarriage for the elder. So no matter what it shouldn't be remarried. Married wants one wife. The other view underneath that is that prohibiting remarriage after divorce only. They could remarry if they will, whatever, but if, if they've been divorced then they can't remarry. There is absolutely nothing in this passage that supports either one of those views. Absolutely nothing that I see in this passage that enforces that. And in fact, Paul would even, uh, he would allow and even encourage remarriage. If you Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Remarriage does not universally disqualify someone from the office of elder. And that's what I'm going to say with regards to that. That it universally and automatically does not disqualify someone. Now, if one is brought before the church to be considered as an elder and there is a divorce in your past, you will be highly scrutinized, likely unqualified because not that you were not the husband of one wife, but how are you managing your house? How have you managed your house? So we can't necessarily say that because you've been remarried, you can not serve as an elder. We don't have the liberty to say that, but you will be highly scrutinized. We will dig into your past. We will want to know those, we will want to ask those questions and know those honest responses as we consider them. Fourth. The fourth interpretation and let me just say that this is where I am um, with, with regards to the husband and one wife. The elder must be faithful to his wife. And since we see where remarriage isn't forbidden in certain circumstances this interpretation would allow and maintain the call to abstain from polygamy and sexual immorality. So to be faithful to your wife not practicing polygamy, not practicing sexual immorality, not practicing adultery and all these other things, but to be faithful to your wife. And this is where I am with this. The husband of one wife literally says a one woman man. That's what it says. The husband of one wife is a one woman man and the emphasis is on the one. And it speaks about faithfulness, it refers to fidelity within the marriage, within this relationship. And so he should be be faithful. He should not have any mistresses. He should not be caught up in adultery. Like, you don't want your leaders there. I promise you that. They're not going to be good leaders for you. And so that's where I am. Being a leader means being a one-woman man. Being an elder in this church means that you are a one-woman man. You're devoted to one woman. And this verse is to be interpreted as... Qualitative, not quantitative, if that makes any sense. It's, it's, it's on the one. It's not on the how, you know, who's married to who. So he's to be above reproach in his marriage. He's to be above reproach means that he is self-restrained. To be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. We won't spend a whole lot of time there because those are kind of grouped into the same thing. They kind of mean the same thing. Uh, but the elder must be temperate he must be calm, he must be vigilant his behavior must be good he must be well ordered he must be modest, he must be virtuous like all of these things that's what what Paul's saying there Um, this guy don't come with a lot of garbage right, he don't come with a lot of issues to be above reproach means he has a ministry right, he has a ministry to be hospitable, and let me tell you something as I was studying for this, I even told Ashley last night, this is the one that kind of stuck me, to be hospitable. And that sounds very kind of plain, right? Like, oh, it's just common sense, right? Plain. To be philocenops. To be a lover of strangers. That's what hospitable hearing means. To actively love the stranger, the foreigner one who is fond of offering hospitality. This isn't just having someone over for dinner. That's not the kind of hospitality we're talking about here. To be hospitable here means in this context that uh, Rome was putting out some fierce persecution and Christians were being banished from their homes and their towns and everything that they owned was being taken from them and burned up and so they were left homeless, they were left in great need and so For the elder, you are to be one who would take them in, to care for them, to give them what they need. And you are to actively look for these opportunities. You're not supposed to just wait until the guy comes knocking at your door. You're supposed to be about seeking out where people need help and helping them and being hospitable. As I was studying, I came across this little snippet, this little story uh, e. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary uh, who was basically stranded in India. He uh, he was he was there, and then World War II started, and they stopped all uh, travel, um, international travel, except for the military. So he was stuck in India during the time of, the war, of World War II. And he talked about in his story about some hospitality that was shown to him at one time. He was preaching among some poor mountaineers in the. Mountains of Kentucky, there, and he said this. He was at a school, local school, preaching, kind of like an evangelistic service. He says, At the schoolhouse, I was invited to stay with a man and his wife. And when I arrived, I saw that there was one bed. My husband said, You take the far side. And then he got it in, and then his wife. In the morning, we reversed the process. I turned my face to the wall as they dressed, and they stepped out while I dressed. That was real hospitality, he says. I have slept in palaces, but the hospitality of that one bed home is the most memorable and the most appreciated. That was hospitality. How many of you are going to open up your bed to a stranger, right? That might be where I might need to work it out. I might be disqualified in some of those areas. I don't know. You guys might need to examine me about that. That's kind of tough. The elder is to be actively hospitable. Actively hospitable. And then the other part of his ministry, that's one part of his ministry, is to be hospitable. The other part is that he's able to teach. And this is where we have a huge distinction between all the other leaders in the church and the elder. That he must be able to teach. And as we discussed this last week, he must be one who is able with the Word, with the Word of God, to encourage, to comfort, to challenge, to instruct, to rebuke, to equip. All of these things with the word, he must be able to do that. Now, let me say this. Being able to teach does not mean being available to teach. It doesn't just mean, well, that guy's not doing anything. Give him a a Bible and tell him to go teach. It means that he is able to teach and he is skilled in it. That he's able to do it. He He must know this word. In order to lead and feed God's church he, with the word, he must know the word. He must be immersed in the word. His life must be about the word. And so that's what it means. That's uh, the positive qualities of the elder and, and how he's qualified. And then Paul would give us a few negative qualities in verse three. To be above reproach is to be moderate. Do not be a drunkard. Okay. Do not be a slave to drink. Don't don't be addicted. To drink. Don't be fond of wine. That's what he's saying here. A person who spends too much time with his wine. That's what he's talking about here as a drunkard. Now, let me say this. Scripture never, ever, ever, ever calls for total abstinence from drinking. So I want to set that out there right now and so say we don't think that no one should ever even go to a store that sells it. Like, I'm not saying those things, but I'm saying scripture does not clearly teach us total abstinence from drinking. In fact, Paul would encourage it. 1 Timothy chapter 5. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now here, Timothy was likely abstaining because of all the mess that was going on around him. And he said, you know what? This is only a stumbling block, and so I'm not going to do it at all. And Paul was like, yeah, but you're kind of sick, and this is probably going to help, so you might need to take a little to make you feel better, right? And let me say this. At the same time, you hear me say the scripture nowhere ever calls for total abstinence. When it is misused, alcohol is such a destroyer. It destroys the truth and the result of that is that it destroys everything when it is misused. I'm not a proponent of someone who's a drunkard. It's not okay. It's not okay that you misuse it. A lot of terrible things happen, and that's what I want you to hear me say. Where is your joy found? Where is your heart set? What are you longing for? Those things should always and ever be Christ. Never let something else take the place of the joy that Christ can give. Period. So to be above reproach, you should also be a peacemaker. So do not be violent, but gentle, contentious. Don't be untamed. Don't be enraged. Rather be reasonable. Be thoughtful. Be generous when you treat others like with your kindness. Be generous that way. An elder is one who is gracious and does not insist on his full rights. As a matter of fact, an elder would rise above injury and insult and injustice. And it would be okay, like, I won't always have my way. You don't always, you don't want me to always have my way. And so be generous, don't be violent, don't be quarrelsome, it says. That means he's to be peaceable. He's not to go and stir up bickering, talking about what so and so said about so and so, and you guys should be mad at one another, and you should start like, You definitely don't want that as your leadership doing things like that, but rather going and helping people settle disputes and to, to see that there's harmony and unity in the body. Don't let your negotiable passions, and here's how I'll say that, don't let your negotiable passions lead toward disunity and internal disputes within the church. Like I'm set on this one thing and that's where we're going and you guys, that's just where it's at. Don't let negotiable passions cause internal dispute. So to be above reproach is to be a peacemaker and to be above reproach is to be a good steward. be a good steward, do not be a lover of money. This is the deadly poison in the church. This is where leaders would care more about what they can get from you than about you more about what the sheep can offer rather than the sheep right if i'm going to shepherd well i care more about the fleece than i do the flock i mean that's that's what we're talking about here and this is what birth vast prosperity gospel that is so wicked you receive from god you're, what you receive from God is solely dependent on what you invest and how you give to God and you give and he's going to give more and you just keep giving and he's going to give more that's hurt a lot of people coming around that idea of saying I'm going you know, to invest I'm going to give all I have and, and then God's promised to pour out more on me than I gave Or it might even sound like, well, if someone has money or someone has power or someone is smart, then God must really like them. That's the kind of things that are born from this prosperity gospel and and God must really um, love that person because they're just blessed. And I'll say this, Paul would even counter that idea in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says "...that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare." And the many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The love of money does the opposite of blessing. And I say it like, the love of money does the opposite. It does not draw you closer to God. It draws you farther away. And the main point is that one who loves money is disqualified from the office of elder. If you love money, you're not qualified for this. And if the reality is, the reality is this, if you have a lot of money, it's really hard not to love it. So be careful. Be careful about what you work hard toward and how you position yourself in life and you want to try to get this and you want to get to this status. Just know that your love for money, the more of it you gather, the more love you're going to have for it. And scripture will speak the opposite of that. You don't love money; it's the root of all kinds of evil. And it's hard to not love it when you don't have it, when you have a lot of it. So one cannot love money and be qualified for church leadership. That's the first qualifier: for church leadership to be above reproach and has all those subpoints all those things. Those are the minimum, right? That we're faithful to our wives, that we don't love money, that we're peaceable, that we care for one another, we're self-controlled, we're hospitable, we're looking for ways to love the stranger, the foreigner. And the second, at a bare minimum, is that the elders are to be men. Cue the emotions. The elders are to be men. Nowhere in scripture does it mention elders, being, the role of the elder being served by a woman. And this is the part that's hard for me. If you want to know one of the things that I've been anxious about, it's landing at this spot right here. Because where we sit today, this is hard to chew on. This is really hard for us to take in. But of all the places we've gone so far over the last two weeks and all the places that we'll go over the next three weeks, we will never come across a place where elder was served by a woman. Never. It all indicates male leadership. This is the responsibility of the men in the church, this role of Elbert. This is not an issue of equality. This is not an issue of superiority. If you were here for Ephesians 5, you're taking this in a little better than those who weren't. If you're just kind of getting this, we talked about marriage and the role of husband and the role of wife, and we kind of came around that idea, and we all walked away with a good understanding of what healthy leadership does and what healthy submission does and how that looks in the, in the family, then, then you can take this on a little bit better than those who haven't heard this yet. And so my prayer is that you hear what we go next. That the husband in Ephesians 5, what we talked about, heads his home and leads his wife by laying down his life as Christ did for the church. That's how a husband leads his wife, by laying down his life. And so as you look at that, you consider church leadership. You parallel these two things and you see this as natural that we discover those truths regarding healthy leadership in the family and then consider here with the leadership in the church that it's not about work it's it's not about value it's not about equality it's about organizational structure it's about about how God would have ordered things and while men and women are equal in Christ every one of us in this room have been made in the image of God and every one of us this, uh, this, in this room in Christ is being remade into the image of God because we're not there today. And so if you're, if you're feeling like your emotions, like you want to throw something at you right now for some of the things I'm saying, I'm just going to say pause for just a second before you throw anything and consider the broken world that we live in and why you would want to raise your fist at that idea. And the only reason I would make you raise your fist at an idea like that is if you've been exposed to unhealthy leadership. Especially from a male. Especially in your personal life, in your family, where you come from, your past. This don't sound cool at all. This is not right at all. Because you know what unhealthy male leadership looks like. But let me tell you, in Christ, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing and that if and if a man is willing to go and lay down his life for the sake of this church that's a, that's a noble thing that's a good work and the church deserves it you know how I know because Christ did it Christ did it he went and he said i have authority over this church yet i'm going to lay my life down for her because she's worth it and i want her to be mine and so as we take on the cues from Christ and how He gave Himself for her church, the leadership, male headship is going to take those same cues. It's going to follow that same road that that we're willing to lay down our lives for this church to see that she be made holy, that she be made beautiful for the day that her bridegroom comes to get her, and that's what we work for. And so it's not about inequality. Just know that women and men are equal in Christ. But equality does not remove the distinction of manhood and womanhood. There's a distinction there. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, there's a distinction between man and woman. Period. So let me conclude with this. I would hope that we would all feel the weight of this high call church leadership and how serious we intend to take it as a church. And before, maybe, I know I said I'm going to close and I'm promise. I don't want to stop right there. I don't want to stop right there because um, we, need to, we need to go to a few more places to um, in a marriage and in, a church, in church leadership, someone has been given a responsibility that someone else must come under me. Um, a woman who is under healthy spiritual leadership, and this is what I said earlier, um, it doesn't feel like oppression. It doesn't feel like you're being valued when you have healthy leadership when someone who's healthy and who's tied to Christ um, and, and is leading under the authority of Christ. and As elders, come under, uh, elders of this church come... Um, Come under the authority of Jesus, we'll all faithfully submit. Right? All of us are going to faithfully submit to the authority of Jesus. And Scripture gives clear instructions about women exercising authority over men. And that's where I want us to. I don't want you to walk away and saying, Women uh, can't do anything. What I want us to walk away with is in the scripture does tell us that women is not a woman is not to exercise authority over a man in the church. First Timothy chapter 2. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Our text this morning even implied by addressing elders as husbands. Elders, you be the husbands of one wife, pointing to male leadership. Since we've established one unique, uh, one of the unique roles of the office of elder is being able to teach, being able to and skilled in it, And the fact that Scripture never indicates uh, that women serve the church as elders, what I understand Paul to say when he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. I read Paul as saying, I do not permit a woman to fill the office of elder in the church. Scripture does not prohibit a woman from teaching. Now, I don't want you to always well, women have no place in the church anymore. That's what Blake said, that I do not want you walking away with that. What I want you to walk away with is that Paul has instructed, Scripture has instructed us that the leadership in the church is for the male to, to exercise and to, and to fill that role, and, and, and he is the authority under Christ to lead the church, those elders. So instead, Scripture would... While, while Scripture would, would prohibit women from exercising authority over a man, Titus 2 would tell us that women are able to teach. That in verse 3, Timothy himself probably um, probably learned from women. You see where, where Paul was saying, you know, you learn from your mother and your grandmother. Take those virtues, take those values. So he even likely was disciple, knowing that his dad wasn't even a believer. Um, we see that in Acts chapter 16, I believe, um, that likely the women in his family are the ones who taught Timothy. So it's not to say that women can't teach. Women can't lead in those roles. It's just exercising authority over men is for the men to do, right? To lead the church. So I, again, I would, I would want you to see that for me, as a leader, I take that as a very, very, heavy, heavy weighty call. Um, An overwhelming responsibility, but a deep, deep love for this church. Christ bought this church with His blood. That's how much He cares for this church, and if I am to submit to Christ, and if I am to take my cues from Christ, then I should be willing to lay down my life to this church. And if Christ fought this church with his own blood, if anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. It's a good thing. But there are preconditions. The leader must be well thought of, committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible and hospitable. He must know what he's talking about, not be over fond of wine, not pushy but gentle, not thin-skinned, not money-hungry, He must handle his own affairs well, attentive to his own children, and having their respect. For someone is unable to handle his own affairs, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a new believer, lest the position go to his head and the devil trip him up. Outsiders must think well of him, or else the devil will figure out a way to lure him into his trap. There is no room for us to be nonchalant about this. And one of the things that you've heard us say over and over and over again about the way we teach Scripture is we will come up against these hard things. And it would be wicked of us to ignore some of the things that Scripture teaches us. And so we want to take them. We want the, the grace of God to be applied as we receive the Word. And then we want the power of the Holy Spirit to enabling us to lead this church well and that's what we that's what we desire that's what we intend and so we won't be nonchalant we won't be flippant about this our goal and our hearts and our desire is to prepare, prepare this bride for her driving for that day that he comes back for her the leadership of the church has been called to help ready her for that and I'll just, maybe a a short confession time, there have been times that I picked at her stats that I pointed out her flaws rather than try to make her look beautiful for her husband. And so there's there's that angle as well that for a leader, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to point out what's wrong. We're supposed to make her beautiful and prepare her for her bride. And this begins... With the individual member. This begins with the with the one who sits in your seat being prepared for that day, preparing yourself for the day that her husband comes to get her. And if you call yourself a, a, a family member in this church, in this body, in this in this family, then this is for you. This is this is for you to, to consider and to examine your heart and find out where. Your source of holiness is going to come from, that it doesn't come from the things you do and the, the, the works that you do and the, the, the charity that you show and the generosity that you might express. It doesn't come from all of those things, it comes from Christ. I remember whenever I first um, heard the gospel in a way that brought my heart to life, it was that very thing that said, I, was, I sat in a in in pew for about a year hearing the gospel preached to me over and over and over and over, and just listening to the good news of Jesus and how He can save and how He can do all those things. And and, and I had this I had this distorted understanding that I'm going to get some things straight in my life and then I'm all yours, God. Like, that's where I was at with. And I don't think anyone ever told me um, that that's what I was supposed to do. This was just something like in my nature, I felt like I had to do something so that that, that I'll be worthy of God just like looking at me and, and smiling at me at all, and so, so I, I felt like that, and I can remember the day that I heard the preacher say as he was talking through the gospel and talking about Jesus, is that um, that I couldn't do it, uh, that I was unable to, I was unable to do it. And I was like, wow, that's that's true, because I leave here every week with a determination that I'm going to go and I'm going to get some things right in my life, straighten some things out, and I'm going to come back, and God's going to of me, and at that point, I might be able to come into His house. Right, uh, and then you know that day I'll blow it. And so I'm saying these things so that you'll know that it's not about what you do. Christianity, at its core, is not about what you do. It's what about it's what about God has done, what He's done, what He's accomplished in Christ on our behalf. And so our work, our our um, our only step is simply to believe that gospel is to say, I see it, it's good news, I want it. You have that desire to do that, you put your faith in Christ. Otherwise, these things that I say here might make you very, very angry. They might offend you. They might not sound right. They might sound really, really oppressive. But the reality is, if Scripture is always agreeing with us, we're not reading it close enough. We need, to, we need to keep digging in. I can't always walk away from Scripture and say, yeah, man, I think I got that part nailed down. Like If you walk away from that, you need to return to your seat and open it back up. And what I would hope you would find there, as you read, are the glories of Jesus, because that's what this whole story is about. From front to back, that's what the story is about. The glories of Jesus and the things that God has done on our behalf so that we might become His people. Lord, so would you pray with me?